Today we're beginning a brand new series called Seven Words You Need in a Crisis. And each week we'll be looking at a different word kind of building up uh, throughout this series. Now today we're going to look at a word that is actually kind of a prayer. It's a prayer that people pray throughout uh, the entire world in every single continent. Uh, do you want to guess what the first word is? It's help. It's help. And typically, we begin it with something like this. Help, help me, help me now. And we have a tendency to either pray this kind of prayer uh, by ourselves, or we tend to pray it for other people. You know, the first time I was ever preaching at a church where people actually talk back to you, I kind of remember a very important lesson that I learned. And it was that on uh, any given Sunday, if you were doing really, really well, the people would talk back and they would say things like this, yes, yes, yes. Or they would say something like, well, well, well. And then eventually they would uh, say something, if you did really, really well, preach it, brother, preach it. But on the other hand, in the same light, if, uh, you know, you weren't doing so well and you were kind of struggling, they would actually uh, talk back to you as well. And typically they would say, help me, Jesus, help him, Jesus, help everybody, Jesus, because he needs help. You know, that kind of phrase of help, help me, Jesus, is something that you really don't want to hear when you are preaching or giving a teaching. I mean, I want help sometimes, but I don't want to hear that kind of prayer. You see, sometimes I've noticed in my life that I might be in a position where I need help, but I just don't want to admit it. Have you been there before? You need the help. You just don't want to admit it. When we first moved to Muncie 21 years ago, uh, the house that we had purchased needed painting. And so uh, I started painting and everything was fine and it was looking really good, except at the peak on both of the ends of the house, uh, there was actually places that I could not reach. I had to go get an extension ladder. Now, if you know me very well, I'm way too cheap to actually go out and buy a ladder. So I uh, went ahead and I called a buddy of mine who I knew had an extension ladder in Anderson, Indiana, which is about 20 minutes away. When I talked to him, he said, this ladder is really big. You probably need somebody with a pickup truck uh, to come and get the ladder. And I'm like, pickup truck? I don't need a pickup truck. I've got my vehicle, a 1981 Buick Skylark. Now, when I got to his house, the only problem was with the Skylark, I could not fit the ladder in the trunk. So I came up with this brilliant idea that I thought at the time. And it was to actually put the ladder through one of the windows and just let the ladder, the other side of the ladder, hang off off the side. And I went ahead and I put that little red, you know, handkerchief to make sure that I was all legal. Now, I should have known 
that there was going to be some kind of issue when, as I was backing out, I hit my friend's mailbox. And then as I started driving down the road, I noticed that if I didn't get right in the middle, I was going to hit all the other mailboxes in the neighborhood. So I drove in the middle. I got out to uh, the ramp to get on the interstate, and I was thinking everything was fine. The only problem was, even though I was going 55 and I was in the right-hand lane, as I was actually driving, I started noticing those white poles on the side, the ladder started to hit them. And I started hearing this ding, 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 ding. So I thought to myself, I'll just move over a little bit more in the interstate. Well, everything was going fine. I was almost halfway to Muncie when all of a sudden I see some red lights behind me. I went ahead and I tried to pull over the Skylark, but as I was trying to get close, I started hitting some of those white poles, ding, 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 until I could get in between two of them. About that time, the uh, police officer got out of his car, walked up, and he's laughing. He's laughing at me. I was not in a laughing mood. He rolled down, or I rolled down the window, and uh, he went ahead and he asked this question. Do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, no, I don't have any idea at all. And he said, well, we had some truckers that were on the interstate, and they called us and said, there's some idiot out there who has a ladder outside of his car, and he's hitting those white poles. And that's when we spotted you. So he said, at this point, I'm going to have to actually see uh, how much you've broken the law. I don't even know what the law is off the side of a vehicle. I know off the back it's four feet, but I'm not sure what it is off the side. So he went back to his vehicle. He uh, figured out what the law was, came back up with a measuring tape. He measured out 10 feet. And he said this, he goes, off the side of the car, it is only four inches that you can be extended. You are nine feet, eight inches over the legal limit. And, you know, at this point, you would think anyone would just say, you know, nothing at all. But I kind of piped in uh, as the idiot that I am. And I said, but officer, I had the red handkerchief on the end of the ladder. And he laughed. And he wrote me that ticket that I will never forget. Folks, there are a bunch of us who have a really hard time ever asking for help. We don't want to ask for help because there's a part of us that think if we ask for help, we're going to be indebted to someone. Or if we ask for help, that the person may not think we have it all together. That if we ask for help, uh, it may show a weakness within our lives. And so one of the things that we struggle to do in our life is to ever ask that four-letter word, help. Now, there is a gender in particular that often has a hard time asking for help. I want you right now in the room you're in or behind this camera, if you're by yourself, just to try to answer which gender is it? Well, let me give you a little research to help you with this. Men have the hardest time 
actually asking for directional help. In fact, even after the invention of the GPS, one research study showed that men will drive up to 276 miles being like a flying goose before they ever ask for directions. Now, guys, if you're watching this, I know right now you want to reach through and beat me up because you're getting stares if you're in a room with women and they're looking at you going, yep, yep, you're like that. But just so we kind of, you know, create the same kind of playing field, I'd like you to look at the person in the room that you're in or you can simply say this to yourself. But I want you to repeat this phrase after me. You need help. Okay, go ahead, say it to one another, you need help. You know, the greatest danger, and we've all been there before, is that if we don't get help, what started out as a small little problem can become huge and can mushroom kind of out of control, kind of like my ladder story. I see this with people all the time. For example, if you were struggling with your finances before the pandemic or uh, in any way before this national disaster, you're still struggling with it. Because sometimes people will never seek help with their struggle with finances. And if there wasn't a budget before, there's not a budget now. And you have more debt and more shame because you're not ready to say you need help. I see it in marriages all the time. What started out as an unresolved conflict ends up kind of being a tragic divorce. I see it with addicts. At first, it was just kind of a behavioral pattern that the person didn't look for help for. And now you're in a full-blown addiction. A problem with flirtation or temptation leads to an affair. A problem with procrastination leads to you not being able to be employed. Somebody who always has a negative attitude and is constantly sarcastic, they never get help. And as they get older, eventually what takes place is they find that there are no friends that want to be able to connect with them. Folks, the truth is, it takes more courage to ask for help than it does to pretend or hide or deny or act like you don't need any help at all. We have a tendency to really have a hard time to ever ask for help. You know, some of you right now are in the midst of struggling with fear or something else, and you're struggling with this national emergency. And I'm asking you, please ask for help. First of all, look up to God and ask the God of the universe to help you, to help your family. Ask other people for help if you need help with groceries. Ask folks for help if you need help with getting to the pharmacy for your medicine. Ask your friends, ask your coworkers, ask the church. We want to be there for you. Don't wait until it's too late, folks. Help is here if you'll ask for it now. 
You know, it's interesting that there's actually uh, a name in the Bible that is used multiple times, and it's translated in looking at who God is. And the translation for the name of God is help or my help, my helper. For example, the book of Hebrews says this. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And this kind of leads us to our big idea of the teaching this morning. And it's this. We are made to live in continual dependence on God. You and I, we were made to live in continual dependence upon God. Now, I realize that some of you are like self-made men. You're a self-made woman. You're, you're strong. You're independent. In fact, when you hear that word dependence, you think to yourself, that is a form of weakness. But the truth is, <clears throat> dependence is actually a sign of strength. Dependence is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and life. Because the, alter, because the alternative is saying something stupid like this. No thanks, God. I don't need any of your help. I can be self-sufficient on my own. And every time you do that, it leads to a disaster. Today, I want us to look at the Bible to see this. We're going to look at a wonderful little story about Jesus being at a wedding. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God breaking into an ordinary life. And it has become a favorite for many artists throughout centuries to kind of paint. It's a story that teaches us how to build our lives around a continual saying of help. Help Jesus in this time. Help me in every day. Help me in every single moment. It's found in the second chapter of John, and it's the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Check out this story. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water so they are filled to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, 
and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You know, every single wedding that I have ever been to, something goes wrong. I mean, you can just count on it. Somebody says the wrong line. The musician doesn't show up on time. They send the wrong flowers. There's somebody who's an Uncle Fred who has an uncontrollable laugh through the whole thing. There's a bridesmaid that just kind of passes out. In fact, even in my own wedding, the rehearsal went great. Everything was going fine when all of a sudden uh, there's this baby that starts crying. It's kind of crying uncontrollably. And so the mom was a good mom. She takes the baby. They go up to the balcony and you couldn't hear it below. But our actual videographer who back in those days, folks, they didn't kind of, you know, like put a mic on the bride or the groom. And so the videographer hears this crying baby the whole time. So when we get our VHS tape, go ahead, figure it out. But when you get the VHS tape, you can see the wedding, but all you ever hear is a crying baby. Now, in the wedding that Jesus went to, they had a problem. They ran out of wine. And in the ancient world, this would be considered a huge faux pas. I mean, this would bring great shame and guilt on both the bride and the groom's family. And sometimes it would even warrant a legal action that could take place and could transpire. And most of all, you would always be known as the bride and groom who ran out of wine long before the celebration was ever over. You know, folks... This setting is the first prayer that was ever prayed to Jesus. Now, you may not have called it a prayer, but that's exactly what it is. And the request comes because they ran out of wine. Now, just sidebar here for a second. What is it that you are running out of right now? What is it in your world That you feel like you've ran out of. I mean the truth is folks. That some of you are so fear stricken right now. That you have run out of faith. Maybe you've run out of hope. Maybe you've run out of courage. Maybe you've run out of something else. But you are sitting there. And you are running out. You feel deplenished. Are you talking to anybody about it? Are you coming online and letting our host kind of reach out and help you through this? Have you asked God for help? Well, this setting kind of takes place and Jesus' mother, Mary, walks up to him and says, Hey, we've run out of wine. Now, the text doesn't tell us why she says this. Maybe uh, she just kind of feels For the couple, maybe 
she had some role in the wedding. Maybe she was part of the coordinating committee taking care of the wedding. Maybe she goes to Jesus because Jesus brought his disciples. And you know those disciples sometimes were not the most well-mannered or kind of, you know, uh, refined people. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were a little rough on the exterior. And maybe, just maybe, when they got to this party, they drank a little bit more than what they should have. And when Jesus said, drink up, they drank up. I don't know. But for whatever reason, Mary comes to Jesus and she simply says these four words. They have no wine. Kind of interesting if you think about it. They have no wine. Now, Max Lucado, uh, who is a great kind of Christian writer, he says this is the first prayer that was ever prayed to Jesus. Now, maybe you're sitting there and the truth is you think, you know what, I'm not a good prayer. I mean, I get kind of sheepish when I pray. I struggle a little bit when I pray. My words get all tangled up when I kind of pray. And I just want you to know that this first prayer to Jesus was not very fancy at all. I mean, you know there are all those beautiful fancy prayers in the Bible. Those are the ones that make it on plaques that people put on their walls. You know, it's prayers like, The Lord is my shepherd or prayers like, you know, our father who art in heaven. But I'm telling you, folks, there's nobody who has a plaque on their wall that says they ran out of wine. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. You see, what matters in prayer is not what you say. It's to whom you say it. Let me say that again. The key to prayer is not what you say, but it's to whom you say it. Now, just by the way, this whole story, folks, honestly, it hinges on Mary having the choice to ask Jesus about this issue in the wedding that they've run out of wine. But the truth is, folks, Jesus didn't come to Cana to do a miracle. He wasn't planning on that. He wasn't like officiating the wedding. He wasn't giving the message. He was just kind of hanging out with his homeboys, just kind of kicking it. And then Jesus did what he did because Mary asked for some help. Her request, her prayer actually changed the entire story. When she asked for help, That's when it changed. We know this because Jesus has a different response than what we would have normally thought. He doesn't say, I know they've run out of wine, mom. I'll take care of it. It's no problem. Rather, he says this. Woman, what has this to do with me? My time has not yet come. Now, this sounds a little cold, don't you think? I mean, how many of you guys, Mother's Day is coming up, by the way, you better get ready. But how many of you would walk in on Mother's Day and say, hey, woman, to your mom? 
I mean, you'd get slapped in the face. You'd never do that. And yet Jesus comes here, and it's kind of a cold response. He doesn't say, hey, mom. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, there's a great New Testament scholar named Dale Bruner. And what he says is that you got to realize this is kind of a playful kind of sparring that's going on between mother and son here. He says you got to kind of picture that Jesus is kind of nudging or Mary's kind of nudging Jesus here and just saying, hey, son, hey, buddy, uh, I don't know if you knew it or not, but they've kind of run out of wine. You know, any time that we go on vacation with my parents, uh, my mom always sits in the front seat right beside me. We have a van with these two bucket seats, and I sit in one, and she sits in the other because it's easier for her to get in, in and out because she's had a couple of knee surgeries. Well, any time we're getting ready to head on a vacation, she often will uh, have some comments that she'll make. While we're driving, she kind of critiques my driving. But she doesn't say some big, long sentence. She just has these little phrases. She says things like this, oh no, oh no. Or she'll say something like, what is he doing? What is he doing? Or sometimes she'll get really religious and she'll say something like this, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. And each time that she's critiquing and talking about these kind of things, I'll turn and I'll be like, what, mom, what? And she will always say these words. I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word. And this is what I've learned. I often think when she says, I'm not saying a word, then what are those little noises coming out of your mouth, woman? Jesus comes and asks his mom, what does this have to do with me? And she kind of isn't sure what to say. And then he goes on and he says, you know, this has nothing to do with me. My time has not yet come. Folks, you know, sometimes when we have a help prayer, and we come to God, and we say, God help, Jesus help. Sometimes we don't get the answer that we were hoping for. Jesus says something, and Mary was hoping for a different response. Maybe you're sitting there right now, and you've been asking some help prayers, and it seems like you're not getting the answer that you want. You have this huge fear And you're afraid and you're overwhelmed and you're saying, God, please help take my fear away. And it seems like you do pretty well for a couple of days and then all of a sudden it comes back in. Or some of you, even before this pandemic, you were diagnosed with cancer and you were struggling and you're asking God help and yet the cancer is still there. Jesus, it's my job. Help. Jesus, they're not coming back. Help me. Jesus, my little girl has lost her health. Help me. Jesus, I am desperately alone. Help, help, help. Now, I don't know why it is that when it comes to our prayers, sometimes 
we don't get the answer how or when we want them. But this is what I believe, folks. And this is what you need to believe yourself. I believe that we are not at the end of God's story. That the hour has not yet come. And let me say this to some of you who feel so much despair. I want you to know that despair is never the answer. That giving up is never the answer. I mean, I believe that God loves to be able to help us. And he even calls himself. He is a shelter for us. He is a refuge. He is helping us in our times of trouble. And he will help no matter what in the circumstances, even if the timetable is not always ours. You know, I have loved so much, or I would have loved so much to have kind of been a fly on the wall when this conversation took place between Mary and Jesus. Uh, To see their facial expressions, to kind of see the body language between the two of them. Because the next line in this story is extremely fascinating. Verse 5 says this, His mother said to his attendants, Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, this is interesting because he has just said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And yet, she doesn't say anything back to Jesus. She doesn't even answer him like, Jesus, I'm not saying a word like my mom would. Jesus, I'm not saying a word. Instead, she says this amazing sentence and Not just to the servants, but to you and myself today. I mean, if you really want to have the kind of relationship in which your help prayers make sense with Jesus, this is it. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. If you want to see water turned into wine, if you want to see heaven come to earth, if you want to see what's up there come down there, if you want God involved in your fear and your worry and your anxiety about COVID-19, if you want him involved in your fear and your worry about your finances and your job, if you want to live in the presence and the favor of the kingdom of God here and now, then whatever he tells you to do, Do it. And what are some of the things that he tells you to do? He says, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Serve the poor. Seek first the kingdom of God. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And love even when You don't get love in return. You know, online, many of you have been sending us questions, kind of asking, you know, it's been cool. I've been able to connect with the jar. I've always thought about it, or maybe you just found it online some way. But you're starting to wonder, what's this place like? I mean, eventually, when we're all back together, 
what would you say you're about? And this is what I would simply say. We are trying to be the kind of church that whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do it, Jesus. That's the kind of church we want to be, a whatever you tell us to do type of church. I mean, this is such an amazing statement from Mary, and even though she doesn't understand why Jesus said what he said, why he hasn't kind of done what she asked him to do, but listening to her response, whatever he tells you to do, do it, that's the kind of church, folks, that we want to be, a whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it kind of church. Now, the servants in this story respond in a very cool way. Because there's a great lesson that you and I need to learn from their response. I mean, I love this. Because Jesus doesn't turn to his mom. Rather, he turns to the servants and he speaks to them and he gives them these instructions. He says, fill the jars Then notice their response. So they filled them to the brim. They filled them all the way to the brim. Now, folks, they didn't have to fill them to the brim. I mean, there are these six kind of jars that we're kind of referring to, and they held over 150 gallons of wine. So it's about 25 gallons per jar. So just imagine having to haul all of these jars filled with water back to the wedding. I mean, if you're looking for any reason not to do it, not to carry it, this is the time. I mean, why would you fill it to the brim? Plus, if you think about it, these servants aren't servants to Jesus. They're servants to the bride and groom. They don't know Jesus. Jesus hasn't done anything for them. But there was something within the way that he said it, because he is God, that they felt called to bring the jars. And they said, we won't do it two-thirds full, because if you did it two-thirds full, folks, you would miss out on 50 gallons of miracle. And that's the problem with some of us in the midst of this pandemic. We're so fearful and afraid that we're not filling our faith to the brim. And there is not this 50 gallons of miracle that we might receive if we chose to believe even when we can't see the miracle in front of us. You see, these servants did what good servants do. They did what was asked of them, and they went even beyond that. They filled it to the brim. It's what I call fill it to the brim obedience. Mary says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Jesus says, fill it, and they filled it to the brim. Now, at this point in the story, Jesus is beaming because he knows something that no one else knows. He's getting ready to turn H2O into the finest Merlot. H2O into Merlot. 
He's going to do a miracle that they can't see or even believe right now. There's an old saying that uh, if you want a thimble for God to fill a thimble, then bring him the thimble. But if you want God to fill a bucket, bring the bucket. Folks, I'm wondering today where you're at right now. Is your faith a thimble or is your faith a bucket? Because whatever you ask God to fill, he will do it. Folks, if you want to make God your helper, it always starts with whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's like Mary almost had, you know, the Nike saying before Nike had it. Just do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And don't just go through the motions, but fill it up to the brim. So, how can you fill it up to the brim during this crisis? One thing you can do is encourage other people. You know, the first couple of weeks, I bet you were like, hey, I'm going to encourage people. And then you got kind of cooped up and stressed out and overwhelmed. And you've stopped texting as many people, calling people, FaceTiming people, Zooming with people. Fill it to the brim. If you're still working, don't just go through the motions. Work as unto the Lord. There are many people that wish they were working. If you're working, fill it to the brim with your work effort. Serve somebody sacrificially with joy and not grumbling. Give a gift to God that actually requires you to sacrifice something. Tell the whole truth courageously when you're tempted to lie. And all along the way, ask God, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. In every second of every minute of every hour of every day, you're with God. You see, that's the way that the kingdom works, folks. It's when you serve with a fill-it-to-the-brim kind of spirit that we're the ones then that get to be a part of the miracle that God wants to do. We're the ones that get to see the water turned into wine and the wedding to be saved. It's kind of interesting for me when you read this and you study it, what you notice is that the big shots really never know what's going on. The master of the banquet, he didn't know. The groom didn't know. The bride didn't know. Their parents didn't know. But it was the servants. The servants were the ones who did whatever he told them to do. And they knew. They knew what happened. Folks, in the kingdom of God, it's always the servants who know. It's those who obey God with their whole heart that know. I mean, can you imagine these servants after this miracle that they experience? They go home and they talk to their spouse and the spouse says, well, what happened today at work? And man, think of the story. Or can you imagine how they follow Jesus' ministry after that, because they know he could do anything. Can you imagine how they responded to the crucifixion, and everyone's like, he's dead, he's gone. They're like, no, 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 no. I saw him turn water into wine. He's going to resurrect. And then he did. 
Can you imagine when they were old and they're telling stories to their children? They're like, I was there. I saw it. I was present when Jesus turned the water into wine. I got to help Jesus have the greatest wedding feast that has ever been told. I did whatever he said. I filled it to the brim and he turned water into wine. Folks, let me remind you. We were made to depend on God. You and I, we were created to depend upon God. Now, Mary was just trying to avoid disaster. They have no wine. Jesus, on the other hand, said, I want to do a miracle. I'm not just going to avoid a disaster. Jesus doesn't even just make wine. He makes the most extraordinary wine. Jesus makes the best wine anybody had ever tasted. But it's not just the quality of the wine. Jesus says, I'll make a quantity, too, that they'll never forget. And there were these six stone jars. That's like 150 gallons of wine. And then John concludes by saying these words. He said, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Folks, this is what I want you to know today. In this season of crisis, in this national disaster, in this pandemic that you and I are facing, many of you are just hoping to avoid disaster. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I just don't want you to get through this time. I actually want to provide miracles in your life during this time. And folks, some of that we've already seen. We've had the greatest impact to share the good news of Jesus because of being able to use a video. We've seen so many lives impacted In the midst of this disaster, because sometimes when the disaster comes, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm just getting ready to do a miracle. You may be sitting there and you may be thinking to yourself. But Chris, I'm just a low level servant. I mean, I have no connections. I have no money. I have no resources. I mean, there's nothing that I could be a part of. Well, let me just say this to you. He has a miracle that he wants you to be a part of. And he says, will you do whatever I tell you to do? And I'm telling you, folks, it always begins. Miracles always begin. The very first part before a miracle is unleashed is when God's people cry out and say, help, help. 
When people who are even far from God and they're like, I don't have any other place to turn. When they look up to God and they ask for help, that's where the miracle begins. God help me. Jesus help me. Turn water into wine was just the first miracle, folks. He has many more miracles he wants to do in your life. That's right, that even in the midst of this pandemic, God has not just kind of decided to, you know, take a pass. He wants to be actively involved in your life and for you to receive the miracle that you need as you cry out for help. And he has something much bigger for you folks than just, hey, I want a bigger house. I want a nicer car. You know what he has for you? He has for you a call on your life to do whatever he tells you to do and to look more like himself than you look that you've ever looked in your life. He says, I want you to look like me. He wants your life, folks. And in this season of uncertainty where there's so many things going on, He wants to give you a miracle today. He wants to fill your life with confidence and strength and assurance and patience and a faith that can move mountains. And if you will choose today to be dependent upon Him, He says that I will flow a peace into your life. And that's what many of us need. We need the peace of God to flow into our life just like wine. And it won't be in a bottle though, folks. It'll be in a hundred proof Spirit of God coming from heaven into your life to experience His peace. You know, Jesus' brother James one time Uh, wrote these words after he had spent his whole life with Jesus and he learned about miracles and faith. And then he said this. He said, you do not have because you do not ask. So what do you need help with right now? He's saying, just cry out to me. Ask me. I will meet your need. Do whatever I tell you to do, and I will flow it into your life. And so what is the miracle you need right now to be able to have to flow in your life?
let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in the rooms where people are meeting right now. Maybe they're by themselves or they're with a group of folks or with their family. And if there's something that you've been praying for and it feels like it's hopeless and it seems as if God is just not moving, hang in there. Don't give up. Cry out for help. He wants to help you. Father, I know that you know every detail that is going on in people's lives. And I pray right now that you would move in every single situation. That you would bring healing and reconciliation. You would restore people. That God, you would provide provision for people who need that. Today, if you really want to see God move in a miraculous way in your life, I simply want to ask you to do something bold, but it's, you know, you're in a room by yourself, but just raise your hand. Or if you're with family, if you want a miracle in your life for God to move, lift it up to him. It's just between you and God anyways. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each person who has a lifted hand, that they would know that You are working in it even if they can't see it. Teach them to turn to you, to depend upon you, to trust you more than they trust themselves. To be reminded that they were made to live in continual dependence. Jesus, we pray right now for miracles. We pray for healing. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for reconciliation in fractured relationships. We pray for jobs. We pray for financial provision. We pray for each person's greatest need that they would trust and depend upon you. And you can put your hand down right now, but for some of you, when you raised your hand, you're like, I'm raising my hand, but I don't know this God you're talking about, Chris. I'm at my rock bottom. And I'm telling you, when you reach up, He's reaching down from heaven to you. And He wants to do a movement in your life. And if today you're ready, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I need His forgiveness. I need His grace. I need a miracle in my life. I need you to be Lord. I need you to be first in my place. If you're ready to receive God's grace, ready to receive a relationship with Him, I invite you to simply pray this prayer after me. And it's a prayer that you don't pray by yourself. We all pray it out loud together. And so just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer today, I want you to know that all of heaven is rejoicing with you and we are as well. And if you would, just kind of tap that raise hand button that's on the screen or if you want to go to our website, you can, thejar.org slash accept, and you can do that. If you need prayer for anything, our hosts are there to pray for you. If you're working, continue to be safe. If you can be generous and help us in any way, we'd love for you to give. I want you to know, folks, that God loves you. He is moving in your life right now 
through a miracle that you may just see this week. And he is excited to have you in his family. So have a great week. Know that you're loved always. And we'll see you next Sunday, everybody.